Welcome to Life Church. We are an ex 242 community, a family on a mission to bring the life of Jesus to Warrington. We hope you're ready to hear what God has to say to you today through His Word and by His Spirit. Great. It's Easter Sunday, everyone. I hope you've gotten over the incredible disappointment that is a chocolate shell. Yeah, let's not be calling them chocolate eggs. We all know that they're chocolate shells. Uh, in fact, don't get, me, don't get me started on the chocolate egg, chocolate shell thing, because it brings up trauma in my life that I feel Jesus has already dealt with. But I hope you're managing that well. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of what three words, what three words. So, there's an organization um, that has basically mapped the whole planet into three meter by three meter squares. And each square is given three unique words to identify that square. So, the emergency services use it because it's more accurate than using GPS. If you've ever used a sat-nav to get somewhere and then it takes you down a road that you shouldn't go down, or, you know, there's a new road being developed and this, your sat-nav hasn't caught up. Anybody remember the days of TomTom? Is TomTom still around? I think Google Maps killed TomTom. Google Maps said, hey, you can have this for free and we will continue to update it for free. TomTom started to cry. So apparently, what three words is better because you have those three words that identify a specific three meter by three meter square. The problem with what three words is that you don't get to choose the three words that identify each square. So you might want to use it for your house. If somebody's coming to visit you, you say, hey, if you've got what three words, these are the three words that will get you to my house. But you don't get to choose the words, which is unfortunate. So for example, Buckingham Palace, beautiful place. The what three words for Buckingham Palace is fence, gross, bats. It's like a review, isn't it? It's like a very tiny review of Buckingham Palace. Fence, gross, bats. There's this house in Chicago. I think it should be in the UK, really. But there's this house just outside Chicago. The what three words for the house is winter, winter, winter. I mean... It should be UK, shouldn't it? It's 19 degrees today. It's 15 degrees tomorrow. No, it's 13 degrees tomorrow. I mean, why, why are we dropping by five degrees? What's wrong with this place? It should be the UK, winter, winter, winter. If you, if you wanted to invite someone to uh, Cinnamon Brow, Cinnamon Brow Life Church, the, uh, the th- what three words is tricycle, braced, cages. Yeah, that'll take you right to the gate. And if you wanted to invite someone to Life Church Limb, what three words? Swarm, giants, fell. That sounds epic. I think that sounds really epic. Swarm of giants fell at the might of the Lord. You can only have three words, though, so they've, they've shrunk it down to swarm, giants, and fell. I started thinking about, I don't know why what three words is in my head. I think I saw an advert on TV, and it just triggered my thoughts. And I thought, if we had to use three words to identify or to locate us in the Easter story, in the resurrection narrative, in this thing that we're celebrating today, what three words would we use? Interesting. Let let me just give you some homework. I know you didn't come for homework, but I am a teacher, so 
homework. Take some time, maybe tonight, maybe this week, and just think, what three words would I personally use that would identify what the cross, the resurrection of Jesus means to me? So we're going we're gonna to look at some, some of those words this evening. I'm going to start in John, <coughs> excuse me, in John chapter something, 19, John chapter 19. This is the passage that talks about Jesus being on the cross. It says, from verse 28, later, knowing that all was now completed, and so that Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he'd received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Note that. He gave up his spirit. It wasn't taken from him. He gave it up. So those three words there, it is finished, I think, are one of the, one of the combinations of words that anchor us in the Easter narrative. Uh, this week, I paid off St. Ives. Let me explain. Let me explain. So as a family, I paid off St. Ives. That would be great. As a family, we, uh, we tend to go to St. Ives for holiday. And we started a while ago. Uh, St. Ives is a beautiful place, as you can see. I mean, why would you not want to go there? Yeah? Why would you not want to go there? And the way that it works is you have to do it a year in advance, obviously, because it's quite a popular place. You have to find a place that you think, this is appropriate for me and my family. Uh, my children are complaining because we kept booking places that had a room that had bunk beds. So Ethan is 20, Kaylin is 18, and they decided, apparently, that bunk beds are not appropriate, really. I, I'm not sure what the problem is, um, but so we had to look for a new place. <coughs> so you look for a place that you like, and then you inquire about the place. As you inquire about the place, you have to make a deposit. So you pay a little deposit to say, this, I'm interested in this place, and they say, great, thank you. Then you have to pay... Um, you have to pay two deposits, actually, an initial deposit, a tiny deposit, to, to say, this is definitely the one I want, but I'm going to pay later. Then you pay a second deposit, and then you have until the 4th of June, just in case you're interested in what's happening in my life. You have the 4th of June to pay the balance for your hotel, your, hotel, your holiday accommodation, otherwise you lose it and your deposit. So the way that you do it, obviously, is you pay your deposit, then you save up a little every month, put it aside, and then just before the 4th of June, you pay the, uh, the accommodation, and then you're in. We've been doing St. Ives for a long time. In fact, this is how long we've been doing St. Ives. This was taken the first time we went. <coughs> this is Lisa <laughs> and my children. <laughs> so, so we've been doing this for a while. So, I'm used to the routine. Here's the thing. Once you've, paid, once you've paid the balance for your holiday, you get an email through, and the email says this. Thank you for the balance payment on your holiday accommodation. And you have that nice feeling inside because you think, it's done. I don't have to worry about saving, saving any more money to pay this accommodation off. Now, that email could have come. And it could have said something completely different, but would have meant the same thing. It could have come with the Greek word, tetelestai, which is exactly what Jesus said on the cross when he said, it is finished. Because actually, they used it as a financial term. 
See, in those days, when you'd paid for something, completed your payment for something, they would write that on the documentation to say, this has been completed. The payment is fully completed. It's up to date, and it is paid for. When Jesus said, it is finished, he was saying, everything has been paid for. It's done. It's paid in full. Now, I know that when I, when I save up to go on my holiday, there is a sense that I am doing that. But I've, I've also had the privilege of going on holidays where someone else has paid for my accommodation. Shout out to Eric Dewhurst. I've had, that, I've had that joy where someone else has paid for my accommodation. And that is a different feeling. It's a different feeling because I didn't have to work for it. I didn't have to save for it. I didn't have to do anything for it. It was just available to me, and all I had to do was accept. And why would you not accept free holiday accommodation? Why would you not say yes to that? But listen, when Jesus said, it is finished, he was saying that your debt of sin has been paid. And not just has been paid, it's been paid in full. In fact, even better than that, the Greek word is actually perfect tense. So it isn't past tense. It's not it has been paid. What it means is it has been paid, it is being paid, and it will continue to be paid. It is completely paid. It is finished. Isaiah 53, verse 3 says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Listen to how many times the word our is used. Surely he took up our infirmities. He carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought him peace, brought us peace, was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. It is finished. When Jesus said, It is finished, he meant everything had been paid for. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, 14 says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. In my version, it says, He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code, the legal obligations, the, the indebtedness that we had, with all of its regulations that was against us, that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. It is finished. It's done. Our debt is done. Now, if you've ever had the experience where you're in a restaurant and at the end of the the meal, you're with a group of people, Christians tend to not do this very well, just putting that out there. We're with a group of people and it's time for the bill, then people start saying what they had and then it all gets a bit awkward because you had a starter. Well, I didn't have a starter. You had poppadoms. I mean, we've all been there. We've all been there. And then you call the way, you decide what you're doing, how much, how you're going to split the bill. Do we split it fairly? No, we can't because all I had was a non bread. Didn't have anything else. Not paying 25 quid for a non bread. So it all gets, all gets quite, you know, discussion based, shall we say. Then you decide what you're going to do, and then you call the waiter over. Don't know if this has ever happened to you. We call the waiter over, and you say, We're ready for the bill. And the waiter says, It's already been paid. That is glorious. It is a glorious moment when that happens. It doesn't happen very often, and it should. Just saying, if you invite me out, it doesn't happen very often, but but it should. 
It's a glorious moment. And then what do we do? And I've seen this happen. It becomes awkward because we feel like we've had something that we don't deserve. And we start to feel a bit guilty about arguing over which, how many poppadoms we had and what we were willing to pay for. And so phrases like this come out. You sure you don't want something towards it? Just, just a little something towards it. I'm happy, I'm happy to contribute. I'm happy to put some money in. Or I'll get it next time. Yeah, you get that? Uh, they're never going to happen. I get, <laughs> I get it next time. Yeah, We get all these, all these phrases because it's like, it's like we, we struggle to accept something that's given to us that is free. But imagine if we, if we treated the fact that Jesus said it is finished the same way. We're like, yeah, but I'm going to work a bit harder to be good. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tidy my room, teenagers. I'm going to tidy my room. I'm, I'm going to read my Bible every day. I must do that. I'm, I've skipped a couple of days this week, but I'm, I'm going to work really hard to get your approval, Jesus. Jesus says, it is finished. It's been paid for. It's all done. Uh, reading, reading some stuff, I came across a guy called Rich Velodis. He made this great comment that I wanted to share with you. He said, on the cross, Jesus didn't say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. He was just getting started. And he continues to work in us. We're not done. You should be pleased about that. You're, I'm not done. You should be very, very pleased about that. We're not done. It is finished. Those three words anchor us in the Easter story. Let's look at the next passage, Matthew chapter 28. I'm going to read from verses 1 to 10. It says this. <laughs> Here it is. Matthew 28. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. There were guards there who saw this happen. We haven't got time to go into all of that. But note, there were people there who did not believe but saw this all happen. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen. Just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. The three words that I want to take from this section are the three words that the angel says to the women. He says, he has risen. He is risen. I think those three words anchor us and will direct us to the Eastern narrative because actually our faith in Jesus pivots on those three words. He is risen. The fact that He is risen validates everything Jesus said up to this point. Everything Jesus said. 
because he said to them that he would be arrested. He said to them he would be tried, that he would be killed, but that he would rise again on the third day. And the fact that the angel says to the, to the women, he has risen, validates everything that he said to them so far. Just as an aside, I love the fact that the angel makes it very clear to them that what he's saying to them isn't something they've heard for the first time. He says, he's not here, he has risen, just as he said. And there are instances in the Gospels where Jesus says to his disciples, hey, you need to go to Galilee, I will meet you in Galilee. After all of this, when I rise again from the dead, I will meet you in Galilee. If you, if you look at Matthew 26, 32, you see that's where, exactly where Jesus says this phrase to them. So the angel reminds the women of what Jesus had said to them. And I want to, I want to make this point. I'll make two points that aren't on my notes. Two points, quickly. One, just because you don't remember the truth doesn't mean it isn't true. See, they didn't remember that Jesus had said this. But the angel said, this is what Jesus said, and this is going to happen because it's what Jesus said, not because you remembered it or you haven't remembered it. I want to encourage those of you who think, I don't remember stuff very well. Well, the truth is still the truth. It still stays the truth. The second thing I want to point out from this passage is that he makes it very clear. He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. And so, in their experience, they're thinking, we need to go to Galilee because he said that's where we're going to see him. And then in verse 8, as they're hurrying away, verse 9, suddenly Jesus met them. Now, I've, I've asked myself the question as I've been reading this, why, why, did Jesus, why did Jesus appear to these two women? Clearly, they knew they're going to Galilee, and Jesus is going to meet them in Galilee. They're on the way to the disciples to tell them this, and then they're going to Galilee so they can meet Jesus. But then Jesus appears to these two women. I just think he was excited. He just wanted to surprise them. Why else would Jesus appear to these two women at this point? He just wanted to surprise them. Say, hi, hey, it's me. How you doing? It's great to see you. They were so excited to see him. And I think maybe sometimes we can have very clear ideas of what we think Jesus will do. But there will be moments where he surprises you. There will be moments where He does things that you don't expect, where He appears in places where you don't expect to see Him, where He speaks to you through people that you don't expect Jesus to speak to you through. There will be moments where He surprises you. It's just the way He works. It is just the way He works. I remember sitting in my house. I was reading a book. The radio was on. I was reading a book about, I think it was called The Book of God. It was kind of a novelization of the Bible, and uh, the radio was on. The chorus came on the radio, and the song, What Can I Do to Make You Love Me, was playing on the radio as I was reading the story of the crucifixion. Mine alive, those two things combined in such an incredible way that I started to cry. What can I do to make you love me? I'm reading about the crucifixion. Incredible. Now, I'm not going to write a book about how the radio can speak to you, Jesus can speak to you through the radio, but it was a surprise. It was a moment where that's what happened. And we need to be open for the Holy Spirit of God to speak to us anywhere He chooses to. Jesus surprises them. The fact that the angel said, He is risen, speaks to us of the empty tomb. 
And in John 14, Jesus has a conversation with his disciples where he promises not to leave them. And so the empty tomb is quite significant. It's quite significant for this reason. Emmanuel, God with us, is not just for Christmas. It's not just for Christmas. It's for every day of every month of every year. The empty tomb reminds us that he is not there. He is with us. There's a song that I remember when I was a a very young Christian. I won't tell you who it's by, but it's a very old very old artist. The lyrics say this, the world will know the tomb is empty when they see our hearts are full. The world will know the tomb is empty when they see our hearts are full. And it's not just the tomb that's empty. In fact, let me say this, everything is empty without Jesus. Everything is empty without Jesus. Every pursuit, every joy, every sadness, every, every moment that we have, everything we chase after, everything is empty without Jesus. Maybe you feel empty today. And maybe the same reason you feel empty is the same reason that the tomb is empty. Jesus is not there. And it's just so straightforward, so simple for us to just step up and say, I need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. He is risen, signifies to us that the tomb is empty because He is with us. Final passage, final two passages, actually. Um, So, as I was reading through these, I I was trying to think, God, there must be another three words somewhere. Just giving you a peek behind the preaching curtain here. There must be another three words somewhere. So I read all of the all of the narratives of Jesus' death and resurrection, all of the gospels. <coughs> and then I just this just stood out to me and I thought, okay, we'll have that. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Uh, that was yesterday. Uh, and here it is. John chapter 20. Mary meets Jesus. She has an encounter with Jesus. And then in verse 18, it says, Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Then Jesus appears to his disciples, and someone wasn't there, Brother Thomas. Brother Thomas was not in the room when Jesus appeared to his disciples. We probably should explore why, but we'd just be, you know, making stuff up. But it'd be fun to make stuff up why Thomas wasn't in the room at the time. Verse 24, Thomas called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. We have seen the Lord. The last three words, I think, that anchors us in the Easter story are those three words, we have seen. We have seen. We have heard is good. It's good to hear other people's stories. It's good to hear what God has done in other people's lives. It's good to hear stories of the goodness and the grace of God. That's, I'm not knocking that at all. We have seen is better because we have seen speaks about experience. It speaks about a personal connection. It speaks about the fact that you have engaged with something rather than having a second-hand moment. Uh, Lisa and I have been together for... 23 years. We've been married for 23 years, 24 years in July. It's a long time, isn't it, really? 
It's a gloriously long time. No, I wasn't saying it's a long time. Oh, man, it's a long time. It's a long time for Lisa. It's a great time for me. <coughs> and so we've shared, we've shared a lot of life together. And so invariably, this is what will happen. And maybe this happens to you um, in some of the relationships or friendships that you have with people who you've traveled with for a long time. Lisa will start to tell me a story. And I'll wait for a moment where I can cut in, because you can't interrupt, that's rude. You just wait for a pause, and then you say those three words that brings everything to an end. Beautiful three words. I was there. Yeah? I was there. It kind of, it kind of ruins the mood, to be fair, and, uh, and Lisa doesn't like me doing it. But it's only so many times you can listen to a story where you were there, and you know, you know what's happening. There's no tension. There's no suspense. You were there. You know it all. You know what's coming. I was there. Well, that's the power of we have seen. It's, I know all of this. I've experienced all of this myself. It speaks to the fact that this Easter narrative is personal. It is glorious that Jesus died for the world, but Jesus also died for us as individuals. And we have an opportunity to join with these early disciples to say, we have seen. Does your life say, I have seen? Are there things about you that communicate those three words, that give that location to people? People can see the Easter narrative in you because your life says, I have seen. You know, if Judas teaches us anything, he teaches us this, then you can be around Jesus for years without allowing Him to change you. You can be around Jesus for years without allowing Him to change you and without fully and truly experiencing who He is. And we don't want to be people who just drift around, bumping into Jesus from time to time. We want to be people who can say, we have seen. Let's pray. We've come to the end of this week's message. We hope you've been impacted and inspired. Keep up to date with everything that's happening by visiting our website at www.lifechurchwarranty.com.